This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Like in that, but that's the cool thing about fly fishing, right, is that that, that always exists, that the, there's always the next hill to climb. It never gets old because you can apply it in so many different ways. Louisiana has been touted as the redfish capital of the world for as long as I know, um, and for good reason. It was. Oh, yeah and probably still is the best red fishery on the planet, but it's not what it used to be. You know, after a certain amount of time when you know that the fishery is never gonna get any bigger and the carrying capacity of the water is never gonna get better, in fact, it's getting worse because of habitat loss. If you continue to take in the same fashion you have before, then at some point there's gonna be, you know, the collapse and, and I think that's where we're at. Yeah, I mean, after after the only fly fishing trade association that there is, there's, you know, we bring everybody to the table um, to have the hard discussions of like how to how to keep this as a sustainable industry. The community component that Chelsea was talking about is the most important thing. It's about understanding that together we we actually make it, yeah. and that having a competitive advantage as an industry is the most important thing that we can do. But we have a sister organization in the AFTA Fisheries Fund, okay, and they take on the conservation side. And I'm on Capitol Hill fighting for the industry. There's conservation components to the things that I'm fighting for, but I'm looking at it from an economic perspective. Or, hey, this is one that you may have never seen, trying to eat my push pole. You had a redfish try to eat your... Yes. Because it, it, you know, you're pushing in the mud and you're pulling out and all that junk's coming up. He saw that black tip and he goes. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Skip Wonder podcast. Today, I am in Salt Lake City in Utah at Confluence, and I'm sitting down with, nope, I did it. Well, you are sitting down. I forgot everyone's names. Wow. Hey, I did we that. Have, to... We have name tags. Here, wait, wait, wait. You just, <laughs> would you like to hang on to those? Hey, can I borrow y'all's name tags real quick? Now this is staying in. Now that we're doing this, it's staying in. <clears throat> okay. 
So if you guys have been listening to this for a while, you know that I'm really good at forgetting people's names and messing them up. So if you're listening, Lucas Bissett. Damn it. It's okay. I mean, Bissett is fine. It's 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 Bissett. Just so. introduce yourselves. Okay. <laughs> Here, can I have my name tag? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> Lucas, Lucas Bissett, Bissett, like miss it with a B. Lucas Bissett, executive director of the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. Or AFTA. Or AFTA for short. The rest of the time we're just going to call it AFTA. Yeah, AFT, AF. Oh, we, God. Yeah. yeah. I do like that you had to read your own name tag to uh, say Well, that. hey, look. That, <laughs> this is, hey, uh, it's not just me. I'm slow but determined. <laughs> I'm Chelsea Parker, and I'm the membership director for AFTA. Okay. Where um, where are you guys from? Where did you grow up? How did you get into fishing? Ladies first. Uh, so I am from Chico, California. Um, I am just learning fly fishing. Mm-hmm. I got into it because I took a job in the fly fishing industry, <laughs> so it seemed like a natural uh, progression for me, but I've really enjoyed learning. So, like, like, you took a job in the fly fishing industry. Like, what drew you to that job? Because you weren't fly fishing at the time, so I'm just curious. Yeah, so I started, um, I work for a local nonprofit that gets at-risk and underprivileged youth into the outdoors through fly fishing mm-hmm. um, back home in Chico. And What's it called? At Cast Hope. Okay. And through my work with that, um, one of the other staff is also a board member for AFTA, Hogan Brown. And so when AFTA needed somebody and he knew I had the skill set, he introduced Lucas and I, and it was a good fit. Awesome. How, uh, what are your thoughts on fly fishing so far? I really enjoy it. I like um, how actively you participate in it. Um, I grew up fishing, like traditional fishing, whatever. Spin fishing, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure, whatever it's called. Um, and, you know, a lot of that, the way I learned to fish growing up, it's like you throw the line in the water and you just kind of hang out for a while until something happens and then you pull your fish in. And with fly fishing, I really like how you're active in it the whole time and how connected to the water and the fish and the, the entire process. Have you gotten into, um, I'm assuming you're doing mostly fresh water or are you doing some saltwater stuff? I mostly cast in my swimming pool. Nice. Uh, Saltwater swimming pool. I so. mean, catch rates pretty low. Right, right, right. Stop. Um, now we have some local creeks that I fish, and that's that's about it. I've I've done a guide trip on the Sacramento River, yeah. and that was fun. But I'm, when I say I'm just learning, I mean like just learning. Okay. Now it's um, have you gotten into learning? So what we kind of call I call it, but like learning all the puzzle pieces. To finding fish? No, I'm still learning to cast. Okay. When you, like, you're going to reach a point where you're going to look at a river and you're going to start breaking it down, and that's when, like, for me, like, that's, like, whoa, when I caught my first redfish, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> but, like, when you get to that stage, like, and I'm trying to give you, like, this is going to get really exciting for you because you're going to be, you're going to get to a stage where, like, every body of water, you're like, okay, the fish should be here, the weather's doing this, they should be doing this. And I, for me, like, it's the coolest part of it is, like, just breaking down every single water that you step into and trying to figure out, like, how does the fish use this to hide from the weather? Where does he find his food? Where does he, you know, what's he doing during the day? What's he doing at night? And so I'm excited for you to, like, get to that point and start, like, seeing water that way. And um, then you're, 
it's over at that point. <laughs> just you're just going to be a fly fishing bum like the rest of us. I think that's probably in my future. Um, I'm I'm excited to get to that point also. Yeah. I and mean, everything that you say is really um, stuff that I can connect with. I love the outdoors, so yeah, I'm stoked. And I'm just a bum. I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) You've met me. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, before I get into my life and what I do in fishing, can we just acknowledge that even a person who's never fly fished still has that exciting... Like, didn't it make you excited for like a second? Like, oh, I was, I was like, so excited. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, God, I, like, I forgot what it was like to walk into something new for the first time and do it that way and, and acknowledge that there's so much more like that. Like in that, but that's a cool thing about fly fishing, right? Is that that, that always exists, that the, there's always the next hill to climb. It never gets old because you can apply it in so many different ways. But anyway, yeah, so I'm, oof, how many years now? 40 years of fishing? ish 39 how many years have you been catching fish 20 yeah (laughs) that's the other thing you have to look forward to (laughs) yeah and i was being really generous (laughs) i just got really good about six months ago (laughs) no you know and fly fishing has been a big part of that you know since i was about 12 but really really got into it after i caught my first redfish on fly and uh and i was about 25 years old yeah so and that was it. That was it. That was so it. Where where did you where did you start fishing? Uh, Louisiana. Louisiana. Yep, yep. That was my first foray. It was all freshwater. Really? Yeah. We only lived two hours from the coast, but my dad never ever considered going to the coast. Really? Yeah. It's all bass. Which bass on fly is still and there was no fly fishing. Oh well, <laughs> in mean, the early days. I mean, yeah. Like the number of us that started with you know pond fishing. I mean, I grew up high school. I used to get yelled at by my mom because I would come home from school, jump on my bike and go fish till dark. And she'd be like, you have grades and a future you need to worry about. And I'd be like, but the, no, I'm going fishing. (laughs) And yeah. yeah, And eventually it just evolves and here we are. Mm -hmm. Now you're doing a podcast. Can't remember anyone's name because you didn't (laughs) stay in school. (laughs) Oh my, yeah, exactly. You grew up bass fishing and then when did you start saltwater? I literally, when I was about 24. 24. Well, that's not true. So I, in college, I went to College University of South Florida in Tampa mm-hmm. and uh, caught my first saltwater fish there in Tampa, um, like grouper and stuff offshore. And then when I moved back home to Louisiana, I was like, okay, I need to figure out this whole coast thing. Yeah. And so that was really what kind of kicked off that that passion were you still were you still uh conventional fishing or were you fly fishing then? uh no still conventional first redfish on conventional um first redfish on fly not very long after that yeah like that was that was the switch and it took me a little while to get there because you know how it is like if you're going from that conventional world to the fly it's it's too easy to bring that mm-hmm. that bait mm-hmm. caster with you and so it took me a while to realize like i just need to leave that at home if i'm going to do this the right way and so once i did then that that was it's all over changes every, yeah yeah no i had a i had about a month of like bringing the spinning stuff with me on the skiff and then i was like you need to just commit so that's some advice just commit just commit i'm in <laughs> yeah. all in just get committed i mean just commit um real quick i know we're going to talk about after and but i want to i would just want to ask um Louisiana, mm-hmm. you guys have been having some issues. Do you mind touching on that just a little bit? No, no. I think, I mean, it's, it's important to talk about yeah. this stuff, right? I mean, 
Louisiana has been touted as the redfish capital of the world for as long as I know, um, and for good reason. It was, oh, yeah. and probably still is the best red fishery on the planet, but it's not what it used to be. And really? Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, but there's you know a number of factors that tie into that. It's, it's habitat loss. It's climate change. It's, you know, overfishing to a certain degree. I mean, Louisiana has the most liberal recreational limits on the planet. <laughs> well, not the planet, in this, in this country. Yeah. Um, and, you know, after a certain amount of time when you know that the fishery is never going to get any bigger and the carrying capacity of the water is never going to get better, in fact, it's getting worse because of habitat loss. If you continue to take in the same fashion you have before, then at some point there's going to be, you know, the collapse. And, and I think that's where we're at. You which, know? which is like as much traveling as I've done, that's, that's what you see across, especially the Southeast. It's mm-hmm. just like all of these, um, wildlife commissions or, de- or, uh, wildlife departments in these States. Like it seems like there's a big push from anglers like, Hey, we need to change the limits. We need to change the limits. And I mean, the best example that I can, that I can throw out there is like Georgia right now. Mm-hmm. Like you can go across the Savannah river into South Carolina and catch redfish all day. You go into the Georgia side and, their limits are like 14 to I think my buddy Jared's gonna roast me for not getting this right it's like 14 is the minimum and the maximum is like 23 or 24 and you can keep five per day there's no boat limit so if you have five people on the boat and a captain you know you can keep I don't know why I brought math into this that's 25 fish (laughs) there you go (laughs) so I mean and it is it's you know it's I think up and down the coast and I don't know as much about the limits out west or in other parts of the country but it's something that like I've seen like you can see the effects of it um in a fishery that hasn't changed their rules in a long time you can see the effects of it um I've been blessed in Louisiana I I've been fishing there since 2020 and we've been lucky in that we've had really good days on the water every time we've gone but you know, I watch what you're saying. I watch what some of the captains down there, like Ty Hibbs, are saying. And, and I know that, like, <clears throat> talking to you, even just with what you just said, like, it's not what you grew up with. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's oh, I just want to see it change. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and the nature of uh, fisheries management, unfortunately, is, is reactive. Right. You know, they, they wait for a problem, then they try to solve it. Yeah. And what you're talking about with guides and other stewards is that they're saying, hey, let's not wait until it's too late to try and do something let's try and do something before it's too late and and that's that's a real shift for a lot of these departments because for them they're literally you know tasked with 50 percent fishery 50 percent the happiness of people right and if you're putting that much weight into happiness you're going to be reactive Mm -hmm. and so Part of part of being a, a good steward is being sacrificial and knowing that, you know, sometimes it means not taking as much in order to make sure that we have some for the people after us and, and hell, for some of us, the people now. <laughs> yeah. You know, depending on what your fishery is up to. So yeah, it's a it's an unfortunate, you know, sort of nature of the game and and climate change is making that happen faster and more detrimentally. And so as, you know, the panel we just got off of, it's like what we're doing now is not enough right and you know as anglers we have to stand up and and yell that we need to do more 
Luckily, we're pretty passionate people. How much climate change have you seen, like the effects of it on the Louisiana coast? I mean, I'm, I have a unique perspective because I did coastal restoration work for LSU mm-hmm. for seven years. And so I got to, I got to learn what the ecosystem is really about and how it works. And uh, the changes are devastating. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not even funny. I mean, you had something that started a hundred years ago because of the levying of the rivers and it's been exacerbated in the last 30 years, like no other. And the, the more hurricanes we get, the more destruction we see, the more sea level rises, the more inundation you see. I mean, there's salt water going up the Mississippi River right now and ruining people's drinking water, you know? And so those things don't just happen. Right. And I think, and one of the things like that I, that I think is tough with climate change is, is, is that it's not linear. Right. Like, you know, you're not just every year seeing, seeing like, oh, it's getting worse and it's getting worse. You know, you might have two years where it's really, really bad. And then one year where it's not as bad, but it's worse than it was three years ago. But they take that, that third year and they go, see, nothing's changing. And it's like, if you look at the long-term effects, it is. And, and that's just, I think it's hard uh, to, I don't know how to, 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 to portray that to people and get their mindset of like, look, this isn't, yes, we're going to have years where it's not as bad, but if you look at the overall scope and a lot of people, I, don't, I feel like a lot of people don't want to look, you know, 10, 20, 50 years down the road and they're like, well, next year's going to be a good year. So we don't need to do anything right now, which is goes back to the whole reactive thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's one thing to be reactive on limits, slot limits and, in, in protecting a fishery, but it, when you get into climate change and trying to be reactive on that, like by the time it's time to react, it's too late. Yeah. Lucas, how did you get involved with AFTA? Yeah. So, um, six years ago, I was appointed to the board as a board member. I then was elected the year after as a board member. So I was appointed to fill a spot that was vacated. I was then elected for a three year term. I was then reelected and, um, had every intention of continuing to be a board member um, until my term limit was up. But uh, this position, the executive director position, came open in 21, uh, right in the height of the pandemic. And uh, we went on a nationwide search to replace that executive director. And after 310 applications and nine interviews in person, or I'm sorry, virtually, um, we still hadn't found somebody mm. <laughs> and they were like, Lucas will do it. <laughs> <laughs> no. And so, um, the, the chair of that hiring committee came to me and said, you know, you've helped us build this organization. Like, what do you think about applying for the job? And at first it wasn't something I really wanted to do. I mean, I had been guiding for 11 years. I was, you know, I was looking for an alternative to that because I saw the writing on, you know, the wall of, my body was starting to give out, you know, I'm not the most healthy person in the world and my back was killing me, my feet, my knees. Um, and so I needed an exit strategy. And so I talked it over with the family and it seemed like a good idea, but I told him, I said, if we're going to do this because I was on the board, like I want you to make this as hard on me as anyone has ever seen. And they did, yeah. they did a heck of a job. And the interview was tough because <laughs> yeah. I was part of all the other interviews. <laughs> no one got interviewed like that, um, but rightly so, you know, because I knew I knew what they were looking for. And so it was important that, um, that we went through that. And, and the, the last sort of piece of the puzzle for me was I said, I'll only take this job if it's a unanimous decision by the board. Mm-hmm. And so 14 other people thought it was a good idea. And so here I am. 
Do they still think that? No. <laughs> Immediately <laughs> changed their mind. No, luckily for me, you know, it's – I have a really supportive board yeah. and an extremely supportive chair and, and crew and doctor. And, you know, it's been, a, it's been a wild ride. You know, we've gone through some – pretty tough times with COVID and, and figuring out how to, you know, tighten the belt mm -hmm. and make sure that we can survive financially, you know, into the future and bringing Chelsea on originally as the finance director and, and her ability to really see, you know, what we needed to do from a financial perspective to survive and how we needed to tighten those, those bootstraps. It was, it was, it was a good time for, for her to become, you know, part of the team and, uh, she makes my life a lot easier. And now as she's moved into the membership director role, um, I know that we're just going to continue to, 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 you know, thrive. So yeah, two years now and everyone still likes me for some reason. And I, uh, I, continue. I, heard. <laughs> <laughs> can, I continue to, to fumble my way through this. Can you tell me a little bit more about, um, what AFTA does? Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, AFTA, AFTA is the only fly fishing trade association that there is. And, um, you know, we bring the trade folks together, the retailers, the guides, the manufacturers. You know, we bring everybody to the table um, to have the hard discussions of, like, how to, how to keep this as a sustainable industry, um, opportunities for meetings, for growth. Um, and that's, that's really a big part of what we do is just build that community so that fly fishing can continue mm -hmm. in um, healthy fisheries and to kind of bring all those pieces together. And you guys work more directly with brands and companies than you do with like actual individual, like not, you're not like a CCA Texas or a CCA right. or something like that. Yeah, we're, we're, con we're completely business facing. Okay. Yeah, as a trade association, we represent the business of fly fishing. And so, like, what are some of the things, like, when you're, like, when you're talking to a business, like, what, like, kind of, like, what are, like, when you're working with them, like, what do you want to see out of them? Like, what are you, like, I guess, how does that relationship work? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, category, it's, 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 it's category dependent, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, if we're talking with a manufacturer, then, you know, that, that support for us comes in the way of, the brand just being there and you know there's a there's a huge sort of reputational component to this industry and in mm -hmm. that you know certain giant brands make a difference and them being there makes a difference and so their support comes in showing up and being a part of the gatherings and you know all of that and then you know as we move into retailers you know it's it's about providing data now with trackfly and being a part of that entire endeavor and knowing that their their channel is extremely important to the future of this industry you know they're the they're the first line of a lot of people's experience when it comes to fly fishing and so you know when you're talking to a retailer or a manufacturer and then as a guide you know those all have differing support levels as far as how you know we need to interact with them but then also how they interact with us and so it, it really is categorical dependent but overall, the community component that Chelsea was talking about is the most important thing. It's about understanding that together we, we actually make it yeah. and that having a competitive advantage as an industry is the most important thing that we can do. And AFTA is that rallying cry. AFTA is that voice that amplifies while you're out working. Yeah, I got you. 
Can you tell me, um, and I know it's a little bit outside, but you did mention that you guys are working with TrackFly. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think I, like a lot of my listeners are more of like consumers, but there are a few retailers, and I kind of just dipped my toe into TrackFly earlier today. And so I, it's a kind of a cool concept. And I think like if you're a retailer, if you own a fly shop, um, I'm going to let you explain it, but like, listen to this. Cause I think it's something that as a business owner, you probably should incorporate. Yeah. So, um, warning, I'm going to get kind of nerdy and kind of weedy on this one, but yeah. not bad. Um, so the short answer is that TrackFly is a company that we have partnered with as AFTA to bring us the industry, not only an industry report, mm -hmm. which we've done in the past, but it's been a survey. So think about it as in the past, dealers would get the survey of X amount of questions, they would fill it out, that data would be compiled and then put out in a report. The problem with the survey is that it has a lot about how someone feels at the moment yeah. or you know there's not there's not a lot of checks and balances to the accuracy of that information so what we've done is we've taken trackfly and they are collecting the data or the information that comes from retailers through their point of sale system so there is no feelings there is no hunches there is no gut feeling this is raw data that comes in trackfly analyzes that data compiles that data and then provides us with an industry report like we saw this morning at the industry breakfast. That's the that's the forward-facing industry-wide look. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, from a retailer's perspective, you now have an opportunity, if you're a part of the system, to get comparative analytics back to you as a retailer. So in the past, if you have a decent POS system like a Lightspeed or a Shopify, you can see your data that you are, you are generating through your store. But that's where it stops. It's just yeah. your information. Now you can compare that information to everyone else anonymously. And you can kind of see, yeah, yeah. see trends and stuff around the country and see like, all right, we need to focus the shop more on this or whatnot. Right, exactly. And, it, and it's, a way to, it's a way for you to get something back for being a part of that industry report. In the past, there was no, you know, there was no like giving back to the retailer for the information they provided. You know, that industry report is important, but it's, it's important to manufacturers mainly because it looks at how they compare to each other. Now the retailer actually gets something back in a dashboard that they can see on their computer and it gives them their comparables to the rest of the industry. Mm -hmm. And again, it's anonymous so that anyone who provides information, they don't have to worry about anyone knowing they provided it or what was provided. And that's a big part of it because you talk to any retailer and anybody in business, you know, they don't want to give up the secret sauce, you know. Yeah. So having the ability to maintain that level of anonymity, but yet get this information back, honestly, and I don't, you know, I like being hyperbolic, but I say I don't, is it's a game changer. Right. It is a game changer. This is something this industry has never seen mm -hmm. to this level. This level has not been seen by any other outdoor industry for the retail channel. So for the first time ever, we are shining a giant spotlight on, again, one of the most important parts of this industry, and that's the retail component. Right. That's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and weediness over. <laughs> um, so you guys just did a panel. I listened in for a little bit. Um, from the, And we've talked a little bit of conservation. Um, what are you guys doing? What does AFTA do from the conservation standpoint? Yeah, so... <clears throat> There's an important distinction that we need to make. You know, yeah. AFTA exists as a trade association, mm -hmm. and so our focus is trade. Right. 
but we have a sister organization in the AFTA Fisheries Fund. Okay. And they take on the conservation side of it. You know, so we're two pillars that make a whole building. Right. You know? And so that relationship is is as close as it can be while allowing us to maintain a focus on our specific part of it. And so from a conservation perspective, you know, there's some crossover. I don't want to make it seem like it's black and white because it's not. I mean, the reality is, is that when I'm on Capitol Hill fighting for the industry, there's conservation components to the things that I'm fighting for, but I'm looking at it from an economic perspective. And then the fisheries fund looks at it from the ecological perspective. And so that's why I like to say that AFTA is a bridge between economy and ecology. Which, which nowadays, when you're dealing with any kind of politics, you need. Yeah. I mean, you look at like, I mean, I think the best example is, is what's going on in South Florida where, you know, they were having issues, they're having issues, and then they start throwing the dollar signs around at their government down there. And the government's like, oh, we're losing money because we're, we're not, we're supporting the wrong group of people. So, I mean, I think that's good that you guys are, you have both of those where you can in-house compare them and say like, you know, this area is, I don't know, a good way to phrase it, but like, I think you understand what I'm saying, though, like like being able to have that uh, touch with the retailers and the manufacturers and then still be able to look at the ecological problems that are going around and say, like, you know, this is the economic effect that not fixing this ecological issue is having on these retailers. And if you can go to a manufacturer and say, look, your retailers in this area are having this issue because of this ecological issue you get manufacturers to step in and help. I don't know, does, that, does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and one of the things that Benny said earlier in that discussion that you were talking about is, Benny Blanco, um, is that, you know, we, everyone is trying to do something, but it's hard to get people to focus on one thing. Mm-hmm. And so having a trade association and then the fisheries fund that can help to bring together those voices and to unify them in order to fight for specific things. It, it just, it amplifies that, you know, that passion and that voice that everyone has, but it's so disconnected and so disjointed because, you know, so many people focus on their backyard, which is important. But the reality is, is that especially with something like climate change, everybody's yard is their backyard, you know, like it's all our backyard now yeah. because we're all being affected by it. And so you can't hide from it anymore. And when you have that kind of existential crisis, it means that we have to unify. And so someone like AFTA and the Fisheries Fund tries to do that unification while making sure that we distribute our, our, our wealth and our, and our worth, you know, across the entire industry. No, that makes sense. Some of the other things that we do in the conservation space, um, is really informing other organizations. So we have the AFTA Fisheries Fund. Um, we also work closely with NOAA um, to be able to provide that input from um, from the industry, from a trade perspective, and how certain initiatives, although may seem good, can have negative or positive impacts on um, the businesses within the industry. And so we help to inform those decisions as well. So mem- I want to ask, like, membership, um, like, what would it take for, like, a retailer if they wanted to join? Is it just as simple as sign up, or is there yeah. more? Yeah, they can just go right onto our website on AFTA.org uh, and go to membership, and um, and they select, you know, the, the cost of membership is based on the size of the business, so mm-hmm. smaller businesses do have a smaller membership fee, um, and, then, and then they're in. Yeah, and then do you guys send out, like, monthly weekly newsletters of kind of what's going on in the industry 
Yeah, we have a monthly newsletter, and then um, there are some periodic um, emails that go out in between those with any highlights or very specific um, things that are going on. But the news, we try to limit the number of emails. We know everybody's getting way too many already, and so kind of try to wrap it up as a monthly digest that hits on some of the key points and has links to to more information if there's something in there that you're like, oh, yeah, I really want to get down on this and, and see what's going on. Didn't, yeah, get into the weeds a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, and one of the other things that we started to try to do on a regular basis is um, like member spotlights. Mm-hmm. And so if we have a new member come in, we really like to, to get them interviewed through our communications director and and then highlight their business, you know, and give them that platform to, to let everyone know like, hey, they're, you know, another supporter of this industry. And, you know, it's a way for us to give back. Yeah. Do you guys see um, a lot of with with especially like your retail members and even your manufacturers, do you see like a lot of the members kind of um, working together outside of like like events like Confluence, like where they're like, oh, you're an AFTA member, like how you know what are you guys doing or like does it help like with the networking? I guess is what I'm asking like for re- small retailers. It really depends on how you want to look at it. I mean, in the past, we've done things like dealer summits and stuff mm-hmm. that have brought retailers together in that you know specific capacity. Um, and then we've also last year we had our very first industry summit, which is you know a way for the industry to come together to have those networking opportunities. As we move into twenty four, we're doing some pretty major pivotal shifts in how we're interacting with our membership. You know, membership has always been an important component to this trade association, but it's now becoming you know, a major focus for us because we know we can do it better and we know people need more from us. And so to that end, in 24, you're going to start seeing more virtual opportunities so that that networking can happen on a regular basis, even if you can't travel. And then we'll move to, again, you know, hopefully a uh, an industry summit later in the year that we will focus around, you know, bringing the industry together, not only to have those important networking conversations and those industry roundtable discussions, but also, uh, you know, hopefully uh, around this new industry report that we're providing and it'll, you know, be data driven. So instead of, again, like, well, I think this is happening. It's yeah. like, no, this is <laughs> happening. Now, what do we want to do about it? And again, it's about creating that collective voice and that collective opportunity to really start to make a difference in all of our business businesses, knowing that in order to be sustainable, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And so we want to make sure that we tighten that chain all the way down. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, and kind of elaborating on the, you know, the conversation about bringing people together, you know, one of the things that we have heard from our members that is extremely important and as part of these, you know, opportunities to come together, these gatherings, you know, be it the industry summit or even like Confluence where we're at here, is the opportunity for peer-to-peer discussion, Mm -hmm. you know. And so when a retailer from, you know, like you said, Texas or somewhere else is able to sit down and talk with someone as another retailer who's going through the same thing, it, they find benefit in that opportunity. Right. Because, you, you know, you're, you're so isolated and siloed, depending on where you are, you may be the only fly shop in your area, you know? And so having the opportunity to sit down with someone you consider to be, uh, you know, a colleague and having those discussions and just, you know, leaving the brand at the door and, and being able to have that conversation is one of the things that is, is invaluable. And oh, that's yeah. why we as AFTA will continue to do, you know, bringing the industry together in this capacity it may continue to change how it looks but at the end of the day the networking part of it you know the discussion as an industry part of it is what we know people find value in and we know as an industry we have to continue doing and so that's why after we'll make it a priority to bring people together no i mean like just from from a like from a filmmaking standpoint like 
every time I spend a lot of time by myself, I'll like end up going into some weird hole where I think I'm doing everything <laughs> right. And then I get a chance to like talk to like other guys that are doing the same thing. And it's, it's the kind of things that like, if, if you're a business owner, like it elevates your business so much faster than trying to figure it out on your own. Like, the way I kind of look at it is like somebody's already done it. Someone's already had this problem and they've solved it. And if you have an opportunity like a gathering where you can meet those guys and they can be, oh, yeah, we had that. This is what we did. And half the time, half the time, it's like the easiest thing. And you're like, oh, you just sit there like, oh, of course. <laughs> why didn't I think of that? <laughs> sure. Well, and that's why, like, we also always want to integrate educational components into our gatherings because, you know, some of the, the opportunities that we have when we bring everybody together to bring in, you know, educators or experts in their, their respective fields um, or people on panels who have already done the things, then um, it allows us not only to learn from each other, but to learn from people that these smaller shops wouldn't necessarily have the budget to bring in right. on their own. And so we can have that, that collaboration and that effort together. Um, because as much as we, as, as businesses, they compete amongst themselves for a market share, together we can grow the market so everybody's share grows so of course you're still going to compete for your yeah you know the bigger slice but if it's a bigger pie a bigger slice of a bigger pie goes even further so it's that whole uh was it he's, he's just working he's, he's just, just trying to do his thing yeah. we had a guy come in and change the trash out it's that whole saying of like was it the high tide raises all the ships mm -hmm. no i like that yeah, it's something like that. Something like that. <laughs> but you close. guys haven't pretty learned. Like, pretty close, yeah. No, I think tide it's, and some ships, yeah, and they're they, all going they, up They together. go up, yeah. No, I think it's a chocolate fountain, drenches <laughs> all marshmallows. I think that's what um, I'm kind of Can I use that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sweet. Chocolate fountain. Drenches all marshmallows. Okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be the only reel I put on Instagram. Is that? <laughs> Do it. From the whole, the whole podcast. It's the only good part. And it's impressive how much these microphones pick up. The, you know what's actually more impressive is when I go to edit it and you can't hear it as well as you can in your headphones right oh, now. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. We so had, then we all just sound like we're talking about something that's not really happening. Probably. Great. Yeah. Great. yeah. That's fine. That's, I mean, half of what I do daily. I think that would be like a really good rock song from the 70s, Imaginary Trash Man. Imaginary trash man. I'm going to let you work on David that. David Bowie could sing it. I'm going to let you work David on that. David Bowie would sing that. I think you have to take LST to work on that. Next year we'll get together and we expect a full performance. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'll write so, it all. Yeah, no. I, I got that. It, yeah. No, I got it. Be careful what you ask for. No, I'm I'm not being careful. <laughs> <laughs> he could have this finished tomorrow. All right. So, oh, there you go. So when we're at, when we're all fishing the sheepy in February. Okay. Imaginary trash yeah, man. Yeah, when you're doing the MC, we're going to need imaginary trash man. I'll get it. In fact, I won't tell anyone why. I'll just start singing it. Yeah. Okay. I'll know. You'll know. And that's all I think that matters. If I ever needed more than an audience of one, I would never say anything. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's just me in the mirror. As he's working on this, I feel like I might be the audience of one for some of it. <laughs> so I'm going to just thank you for that ahead of time. Imagine that you're trying to So um, <laughs> I, got, I got one question I'm going to ask you guys, and it is not after related. Nice. It is the Skiff Wanderer final question. Ooh. And um, I'm excited to see what you guys have to say. So if you had, you know what? I'm going to give you guys the Hunter Levine version of this question because he's helped me dial it in. Um, 
if you were sitting in solitary confinement mm -hmm. in prison on death row and they came to you instead of said instead of a last meal you have one last fishing trip where are you going who are you going with what are you catching I know. For Chelsea, that's one first fishing trip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Russia. Really? That's yeah. an, that's. She actually that's told me awesome that answer. Kamchatka was like her thing. Like she yeah, said, I'm like going to go won. fish off the Kamchatka Peninsula. That's what she told me. She told me that. Like and that's I'm going to take somebody who can help keep me alive. You want to know that Anyone. you're the first person that said that on this podcast? So, you you're basically a pro angler Winnie. at this point. <laughs> well, I mean, she I'm, watched the YouTube video. I've, I've actually seen a lot of videos of people fishing off Kamchatka. It looks really exciting. I I want to go up there. That's on my list. Not as high as number one, but I really just want to go to Russia. And so the fact that you can do some pretty awesome fishing there, like really, just it's it's number one on my list. I feel like if you end up in Russia, um, fishing the Kamchatka Peninsula, mm -hmm. you might as well while you're over there go ahead and swing by Mongolia. I can't remember the name of the fish there, but they're massive. It's Taipan. That's the one. No. Is that it? No. That might be a snake. Well. Taipan is a snake. I'm pretty sure Ta it's a snake. Taipan's a country. I don't also, know. yes. <laughs> we, we are sounding real smart. Can somebody Google it? I, I want to know if it's Taipan. Maybe it's Taiman. It's Taiman. Yes. Taipan is definitely Dude, we were a snake. getting there. For all the snake people out there, Taiman, Taiman is, the, is the fish. Taipan's a snake. It's like one of the most venomous snakes. So there you go. I don't want to catch one of those. Not the, snakes. No, the fish, you. though. You're right. good with the fish. Yeah. I don't think there's any Taipan in Mongolia. Taiman there are. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen those on TV. <laughs> I read about it in a book once. <laughs> yeah. Short book. Lucas, Guy died. where are you going fishing? Oh. So this is like it. This is my last one. Yeah. When you get home. You're getting killed. You're, that's it. You're getting Taipan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. It's a, I mean, it's a good question. It really is. Hopedale, Louisiana. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, maybe. I've seen this go both ways of, like, super exotic, and then guys are like, I'm fishing at my house. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if it's the last one I can ever do, I'd probably go catch a redfish in Hopedale, Louisiana. Yes. Only because... You know, and I don't, I don't want to take away from guiding because it was an awesome experience in my life. But, you know what they say, when you make something a job, yeah. you know, it changes a little bit. Right. And so I still love Louisiana. I still love red fishing. I love everything about it. But when you do it 200 days a year for 10 years, you know, it's, it's a little too much. So I... I still appreciate it. I just don't know that I didn't start taking it for granted. And mm -hmm. so if that was my last, you know, cast and testament, then I would I'd think a redfish crawling down the bank in skinny water, being happy and dumb. Just getting hit in the face five times with a fly and ignoring it. And carrying it. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, then just turning on it and engulfing it like it's seen it for the first time. Oh. Like that would probably be it. That's like burned in my mind from my first trip to Louisiana. Like my first, my first trip to Louisiana, we went out of Grand Isle, which means we went out of Fouchon, <laughs> and we get into the creek that we were gonna fish. And <clears throat> I'm used to like, like I I grew up fishing South Carolina, but not fly fishing there um, for redfish. And so I'm used to like fishing the Texas coast, crystal clear water, redfish everywhere. You see everything going on, and we pull up into the creek. It's 
muddy as I'll get out, the pole sinking two feet in the mud. I look at my buddy and I'm like, this, I, maybe we'll get one. And we're both like trying to figure out like, how do we fish here? Because this is dark, dirty water. It's impo- like, it's extremely difficult to pull. And like, we're having this conversation and I look down as I'm as I'm pushing the push pole. I look down next to the boat, and literally a foot from the back of the boat is like a 27 inch redfish back out of the water, just swimming past the boat. And I'm just like, "There's one, <laughs> <laughs> found it." And we caught that one, and we were like, "Oh, we might be okay." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the thing I always said to my clients was the hardest cast in Louisiana is the eight foot cast with your nine foot rod, <laughs> yeah. which is I feel like it was a lot of them. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I have caught a fish under the gunnel of the boat. Have you trapped one with the boat yet in the mud? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, hey, this is one that you may have never seen. Trying to eat my push pole. You had a redfish try to eat your... Yes. Because, it, it, you know, you're pushing in the mud and you're pulling out and all that junk's coming up. He saw that black tip and he goes... <laughs> I mean, you do that, like I said, you do it long enough, you're seeing yeah. stuff. You know, that things are happening. Did you land that one? <laughs> no, the push pole didn't have a, it had a barbless hook. <laughs> All right, guys, I, I, um, I really appreciate you guys taking some time out of Confluence to sit down and talk a little bit more about AFTA and Louisiana. Um, if, the, if people listening want to check it out, I know you said the, the website earlier, but I'm going to make you say it again. Yeah, it's um, AFTA.org, A-F-F-T-A dot O-R-G. And then, and if you want to sign up, become a member, that's the website you need to go to. It's, I think I've looked at it and I haven't done it, but because I was like, oh, I don't think I'm a company. Um, we'll talk about it later. Uh, <laughs> yes, we will. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, if you, if like, if you've listened to this and you own any kind of business in the fly fishing space, hopefully this has convinced you that you need to be a part of this organization. Um, do you guys do a lot with Instagram? We do. Yeah, yeah, we have a very active Instagram. Okay. I know I've, I've seen it, but it's been a hot minute. Yeah. Um, and that is? Instagram.com slash AFTA. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, also I, accessible from our website. And just... if you have any other questions about membership or the organization, you're welcome to reach out to us. Our contact information is also right on the main page of the website. You don't want to give out your phone number and email address? You don't do. You do not no. have to. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's it's actually on the homepage of, of the after website. Yep. So yeah, we're accessible. It's right there. All right. Uh, you know, and I'm accessible probably more than I should be because as a guide, you know, you never like not answer the phone. And so people call me late and I'm just like, hello. And they're like, I didn't expect you to answer. I'm like, then why'd you call? <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to teach them boundaries. <laughs> it's not working. Not yet. No. Yeah. I've had plenty of experience fishing with guide friends and I look back and they're talking to clients on the phone and I'm like, the red fish is swimming away <laughs> off the phone. Yep. Um, all right. Th- yeah. Again, thank you guys so much. Um, if you are watching this on YouTube, hit like, hit subscribe, all that stuff. If you're listening to it on Apple, Spotify, any of those things, um, five star review would be great. Really appreciate that. It'd be really nice. Uh, you don't have to, but I mean, yeah. let me just say it this way: I never got anything below a five-star review as an Orvis endorsed guide, so don't. Okay. Be my first. There you go. Not to brag or anything. Yeah, <laughs> 131 five-star reviews, uh, Orvis endorsed guide of the year, 2017. Just saying. <laughs> Braggadocious. <laughs> just saying. Just saying.
And I think that's it. That's that'll a good, that'll that's wrap a it good up. spot to end it on. <laughs> <laughs> All Quick right. before he gives himself a trophy. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>